The podcast you're about to listen to may contain random lines from musical theater, terrible attempts at regional accents, and a sincere discussion about mental health. You have been warned. Are you ready to start singing with your feet? Formidable! Allez, c'est parti! Juste dans la joie Une joie profonde Nos cœurs, elle inonde Cette joie, elle vient du ciel Non, nous ne sommes pas fous Welcome to Sing With Your Feet. My name is Lily Fields and I'm going to be your fairy godmother for the next half hour or so. My job as your fairy godmother is to help you think differently about your life. To, well, sing with your feet, if you will. To sing with one's feet is a little euphemism I like to use to mean that you've got to stop doing the same things over and over, thinking that you are going to get a different result. To sing with one's feet means that we don't give up when things get hard or when we feel like we are out of options. It means that we take that one evergreen tool in our toolbox, the tool of self-reflection, and use it as a sharp little scalpel to get closer to the heart of what is getting in the way. Some days, it's just one little papery thin motivational problem that's getting in our way. Other days, it can be an entire wall of procrastination that keeps us stuck. In either case, ignoring the source of our problem will not help us solve it. Singing with our feet means regularly asking ourselves questions about what is working and what isn't working, and looking for the connection between these things. It means taking a few minutes every single day to actually think about and to plan for progress. It's not always easy. Progress can be hard fought, but when that's the case, it is all the sweeter. On this episode 46 of the podcast, we are working our way through your wardrobe, item by item, to see if some of the stuff that you have piled up in there might not be the reason you've been feeling stuck. Now, if this sounds shallow or even ridiculous to you, then maybe this series of episodes isn't for you. There are plenty of others, like episode 21, called Sex is Like a Box of Chocolates, about how learning about sex, even the kind of sex we don't ever plan on having, can make us a better parent. You see, singing with your feet can be very, very interesting. Or episode four, that was called MacGyvering Con Marie, about how decluttering our homes can give us more direction and more sense of purpose in our lives. But if you are still with me, then let me assure you, we have got plenty to talk about, Cinderella. So let's get started. Now, here's my disclaimer. Remember, I am a humble fairy godmother. I am not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm a thinker, a theorizer, and someone who has thought and theorized about my own relationship to clothes and my closet for nearly my entire life. Back to when I was two years old, standing in front of the clothes that my mother had packed for a summer trip, trying to decide which was the least bad option of several terrible options, and determining if my mother had brought the appropriate hair ribbons to accessorize each terribly bad option. So 
I've been at this for a very, very long time. But just because I've been at it for a long time, it doesn't make me a trendsetter, a follower of fashion, or a fashionista of any kind. The kind of conversation we are having here is not a replacement for therapy, either. It's the kind of conversation two friends might have over coffee, and maybe a good cry while packing for a move. That said, if any of these things are a trigger for you, I want you to get professional mental health support. Okay, Cinderella? She's nodding. She's nodding. Okay, very good. Now, on with the show. In our last episode, I gave you a little homework assignment. I asked you to start doing a closet inventory. I gave you a little spreadsheet to start working from. You weren't going to go one by one through the things in your closet all in one day. Although, if you had the time and inclination, I guess why not? Your assignment was each day when you get dressed to note on that spreadsheet as much as you could reasonably remember, like when you got the items you were wearing, where you got them, how much they cost, how many times you might have already worn it, what you like and what you don't like about it, any repairs it needs, or any repairs that have already been done on it, alterations, things like that. I'm willing to bet that if you listen to our last episode, number 45, called Wardrobe Therapy, even if you haven't yet started your inventory, that at least once since you listened, you've walked into your closet and rolled your eyes. I know, I have. I believe with all my heart that our closets are repositories for our dreams, our hopes, our deepest desires, our memories, both good and bad memories. Me, I have rolled my eyes because as neatly arranged as my closet might be, which it is right now, due to a ceiling leak in my closet, which is a fairy godmother's nightmare, there are items hanging there like little soldiers, which I absolutely never wear, but that I keep there and that dislodge feelings every time I see them. Here's an example. A little sparkly cardigan that I bought to wear to a concert, and it looks awful on me. A green silk party dress that has a bittersweet memory attached to it, and I know I will never wear it again, but I can't bear to get rid of it. There's a scarf on the floor of my closet that has been there for, and I'm not joking here, years, and that for the life of me, I cannot get up the motivation to pick up off the floor. And it makes me feel nostalgic every darn time I see it. I tend to think that we make a very, very big mistake when dealing with our closets. We tend to think that our closet is just about what we wear and how we look. But it is so, so much more. Our closet is a mirror to how we feel about ourselves, about how we feel about our lives. Our closet has the power to make us feel things. This scrapbook, using air quotes here, aspect of our closet is what I want us to talk about today. As is usual, I'm going to be speaking anecdotally about my closet with maybe a few examples from other people strewn in here and there. But I trust you to hear what I'm saying and to take what resonates for you and to actually take the time to think about this and how it applies to you. The three subjects I want us to address today are, number one, the antiquities of our wardrobes. Number two, clothes that serve as costumes, but maybe not in the way you think they do. And number three, the sentimental items. What is the oldest item in your closet? For some of you, 
it might be your wedding dress. For others, it might be a scarf or a wool letter sweater that belonged to your father. At this very moment, the oldest item in my closet, both in age and in longevity in my closet, is a 1950s sky blue chiffon party dress. The dress itself is more than 70 years old. Yes, but it has been in my possession since 1994 when I went to a thrift store with my father and we found this pretty little thing hanging on the evening gown rack. This dress spent years in a storage space under the basement stairs at my mother's house until, I think it was 2010, I asked her to mail it to me for a costume party I was going to here in France. To this day, it remains, in spite of the little cigarette hole on the skirt and the subtly snagged chiffon on the bodice, an exquisite object. Since then, I've worn it a few more times. Notably, the last time was on Valentine's Day of last year, when I wore it to a little tea party I had for myself. The next oldest item in my closet is a red and white checked bias cut maxi skirt that I bought in 1996, the year I graduated from high school. It is the skirt I was wearing when I met my husband in 1997. For many years, it was stored away in a bin in my mother's basement. And then in 2019, when on a visit home, I found it as we were going through a big bin of memory boxes with my boys and I decided to try it on. It still fit, although not quite as well as it used to, but it made me happy to wear it again. So I brought it home, and I wear it in the summers now, mending it nearly every single time I wear it, because I'm always discovering a new little hole in the material. <laughs> it happens. The other ancient item in my closet is a Bob Mackie silk scarf given to me by my favorite art history professor when I graduated from college. I'll be honest, I do not love the scarf. The colors are not me at all. But I have kept that scarf since 2001 because she gave it to me. And she was someone who believed in me. And at that time in my life, she was like, she was like a fairy godmother to me. So here you go, Cinderella. What are the antiquities in your closet? Why are they still there? Are they items that you wear? Or are they more like artifacts, souvenirs of a different season of your life? You see, the contents of our closet are far more complicated than just the things we wear on our bodies. They are tangible memories, sometimes of better times, sometimes of people that we loved. We need to be willing to recognize that some items in our closets, although they look like clothes, they are not clothes. They are tangible memories. And we need to be willing to designate them as such. We'll talk about this when we get into talking about the sentimental items in our closets. But this makes me think of my mother, who the entire time I was growing up, kept a royal blue patterned suit in her closet. Me, who always loved to snoop around in her closet, I would see it in there and I would wonder why in the world did she keep it? I mean, it was pure 1980s fashion with a knee-length skirt, these tiny little pleats, and a blouse with one of those pussy bows. As a teenager, I simply could not understand why she kept this around. I found it to be hideous. Every few years, my mother would do a closet clean out, but that monstrosity always remained. I remember her saying, you'll see, one day this will be in style again. And I remember thinking, over my dead body. Guess what? I'm still breathing. And I think I saw someone the other day wearing a very similar Princess Diana-inspired suit. So 
I guess she won that one. (laughs) But she wasn't keeping it because she was going to wear it again. Her reason for keeping it remains a mystery to me. I don't need to know why she kept it. The only person who needs to know is my mother. Just like with you. What I would like to recommend, if you would let me, Cinderella, is that you allow yourself to imagine a way that you could use, and by use I mean wear or perhaps repurpose that little antiquity that has been living in your closet for all these years. My friend Myrtille, who you have met before here on the podcast, came over a few months ago having done a closet culling. She brought all kinds of antiquities from her closet, some of which she really wanted to get rid of, and some that she just didn't know what to do with. So she offered them to me. But some of them, I could just tell, she wasn't ready to say goodbye to quite yet. One of them was a slinky red evening gown. I, of course, would have loved to take that thing off of her hands. But it was painfully obvious that she wasn't ready to see it go yet. So I suggested that she start a costume box for her daughter with items that her daughter could use to play dress up with. My mother had a costume box for us. Notably, I remember her putting a sari that her friend Layla had given to her when she was in college. Seeing, seeing us play with it often made her think of her friend. And this, I think, made her happy. So why wouldn't Myrti do the same for her daughter? A costume box is one way to put an item into action. Another way is to, if you can, actually use it as it was intended. I mean, wear it. No, I know that this depends on a lot of factors. A lot of times those antiques don't fit us anymore, and in that case, ignore this little piece of advice. But I do want to say something about this, because it happens to me all the time when I am confronting the items in my closet. I have things, pretty things, things that I have so much affection for that I am afraid to actually use them because something in me tells me that they're too precious to use. Out of fear of damaging something that, let's be honest, I it may only be precious to me and me alone, I'm robbing myself of the joy that this item could bring. If I'm not actually using it, then I am not letting the object bring me that joy. Let's be honest, there are very few things that are actually too precious to use. But we need to examine that thought or that feeling that tells us that this item is too precious. That red and white checked skirt, for example, it truly is irreplaceable. Years ago, years ago, I put it into a memory box, but something in me decided that it could still bring me joy in my everyday life now. I want to wear that skirt until it no longer holds together anymore. And I love it enough to continue mending it until I cannot mend it any longer. I loved that skirt when I first bought it, it re- and now it reminds me of a very happy time in my life, and it still makes me happy. I want more of that happiness in my everyday life. Why relegate this antique to a drawer and preserve it when I could use up every single thread of that happiness? I have no daughters to enjoy it, and they would probably feel about my red and white check skirt the way I feel about my own mother's blue print suit. So why not, as long as I can fit into it, still enjoy it. Another way to enjoy something that you might deem as too precious is to repurpose it. That Bob Mackie scarf I told you about, it has taken me a long time to figure out what to do with it. I have schlepped it across the Atlantic Ocean and to every single place that I have lived in the last 20 years. 
but it has recently become the lining on my leather jacket. You see, the lining on my jacket had somehow gotten ripped up, and I decided, to the best of my ability, to use that scarf to replace the lining. So now, every single time I wear that leather jacket, I think of Dr. Thomas, and it makes me feel so happy. It doesn't matter that the colors aren't like me, or that the pattern is not at all the kind of style I would wear. I see it on the inside of my jacket, and it makes me happy. Or <laughs> once, my amazing friend Genevieve gave me a red polka dot silk skirt. I loved it, but it never looked right on me. So do you know what I did with it? I cut it into pieces, and now I use it as a liner for my drawers. I see it every time I open my drawers, and it makes me happy, and it makes me think of her. Or, oh my goodness, the jello dress. Oh, don't get me started on the jello dress. Okay, fine. Okay, fine, the jello dress. Genevieve gave me a maxi dress that was printed with, I kid you not, boxes of jello gelatin dessert on it. The boxes, the boxes with the logo and everything. We called it the jello dress. I first repurposed it by cutting into a top and a skirt. I wore that skirt very proudly. Oddly, I wore it in Uganda when I went there one summer. Weird fashion choice, but okay. Then I shortened it and I turned it into a running skirt. When the elastic on that skirt wore out, I used it to cover a nursing pillow. I still have pieces of the jello dress lying around, and over the last 20 years, I will randomly send photos of what that jello dress is doing now to Genevieve, and we always get a giggle out of it. Joy is such a powerful thing. You are keeping those items around for some reason, and I suspect that joy is one of them. Joy is the fairy dust that makes the vagaries of life bearable. How can you get creative to bring the joy of those antiquities into your everyday life? Earlier, I talked about the costume box. When I talk about costumes in this part of the episode, I am changing my definition, okay? In this part, I'm talking about the disguises we use in our everyday lives that help us inhabit our different roles. The Cambridge definition of a costume is a set of clothes worn in order to look like someone or something else, especially for a party or as part of an entertainment. Merriam-Webster defines a disguise as a change in appearance or behavior that misleads by presenting a different apparent identity. When I worked at Walt Disney World, we wore uniforms. But they were not called uniforms. Mais non, mais non. They were called costumes. Even if they were khaki pants and a white polo shirt, they were called costumes. And the place where we went every day to get our uniform was called costuming. This time at Disney normalized for me the idea that the clothes we wear every day can be considered costumes. Never did this appear more strikingly to me than at the time of the COVID lockdowns. Every single day, I wore a brightly colored dress and little heeled sandals. I did not wear them because they were comfortable. I wore them because they were disguise. A change in appearance that misled by presenting a different apparent identity. That apparent identity was of someone who had it all together, who was confident 
and unconcerned about what was going on out in the world. I did it subconsciously at first, but then deliberately later to reassure my boys that everything was going to be all right. During that time, I discovered that I had three basic categories of clothes in my closet. The ones that I was wearing daily, the bright, colorful, pretty dresses, which I affectionately called my look-at-me dresses. I had a gigantic swath of black and gray and otherwise neutral colored items that I would wear when I wanted to feel invisible, which was just about every single time I stepped foot outside of my apartment. And then I had the not insignificant category I called performance clothes, which were either business casual items or formal attire, which I either used to wear to work when I worked outside of the home or that I wore to perform in. Instinctively, I knew when to wear what because instinctively, I understand the different roles that I play in my life and the audience that I am, air quotes here, playing to in the different situations that I'm in. When I realized that I had siloed my wardrobe into these three categories, I intended to understand what it all meant. One of my ideal life statements is that in my ideal life, I am the same person on the inside as I am on the outside. So did this mean that I had three distinct people in me? I also had heard a phrase once that I liked a lot. It was dress for the life you want. So I got to thinking about what each of those different character disguises meant that I wanted out of my life. I mean, I called a whole category of my closet look at me dresses, but I only liked to wear them around my husband and my family. This meant that I was desperately wanting to be seen and noticed by them. Not that this ever worked, of course, but at the heart of it, that was what I was hoping for from them. The neutrals, I viewed them as my invisibility cloak. I wore them when I wanted to pass unnoticed. And there are more times than I would care to admit that I really wish that everyone would just ignore me, <laughs> not talk me and pretend that I'm not there. There are also the jeans that I needed to crawl around on the floor with my, with my kids or that I wear to go gallivanting through the woods in the middle of the winter. They are the practical down-to-earth things. And my performance clothes, they're just that. They are what I need to wear when I need to be presentable and I have work to do. Incidentally, that sparkly bolero that I mentioned earlier, that, that little sparkly cardigan, why did it make my eyes roll? <laughs> well, it's because although it is exquisite, it is in a neutral beige color that simply doesn't, to me at least, do the work of commanding the attention I need to command when I am performing in a concert. I didn't realize this until I was standing in my evening gown, wearing that bolero, doing a sound check. As pretty as it was, it didn't do the job I needed it to do. And so now, that little cardigan makes my eyes roll every single time I see it. The look at me dresses are mostly spring and summer dresses. My neutrals are mostly fall and winter clothes. This also fits with the roles that I need to play during those seasons. Looking at my closet as a series of costumes has helped me come to grips with the different roles that I need to play in my life, and it has helped me prepare for those roles. Even though it is the dead of winter right now, when I go to lead the project about wool with the students from my kids' school, I wear performance clothes. I do it intentionally because it helps me get into the performance mindset. I'm not just going to be with the kids. I'm going to transfer knowledge and joy to them. I need to dress like a fairy godmother for it. So what about you? What are the roles that you play in your life? Do you dress differently for your different roles? And here's a question. What would happen if you swapped costumes for your different roles? 
Have you ever done that? What impact would it have on how you feel about your different activities? I firmly believe that life is short and that we should wear the pretty clothes. I mean, I am the fairy godmother who wears lace dresses to the woods in summertime because I gotta get somewhere out of those dresses. You can rarely go wrong by dressing up. Just think about that. So now let's talk about the sentimental items. Those are, for example, that blue scarf on the floor of my closet that I haven't moved in years. But it might be the pair of socks you wore at the maternity ward or the jacket you wore to your grandfather's funeral. Those items can be paralyzing to us. We simply can't bring ourselves to get rid of them even though they may not fit and we may not even like them anymore. For example, that blue scarf, it is one of an identical pair that I bought a good eight or nine years ago when my friend Blair came to visit France. We bought those scarves together. I wore the heck out of that scarf for a really long time. But then one day it landed on the floor of my closet and I got busy with other things. Shall we call them babies? <laughs> and I would like, and I would see it there and I would think, boy, oh boy, I should really pick that up. But I couldn't. I, I wouldn't. I guess seeing it there made me think of Blair, so that was already a good thing. But I also felt guilty that I wasn't wearing that scarf anymore. And the color wasn't one that I was wearing much anymore anyway, and I would have to wash it once I picked it up, and I just never seemed much in the mood to bend down and pick it up, this one little thing when I was spending all of the, my days on my knees with my kids. So I would forget about it, and it got pushed back to the very back of the floor of my closet. So recently, when I was trying to do some emergency cleanup in there with the leaky roof and all, I came across that blue scarf and my heart was flooded with happy memories of Blair and her visit. And just of Blair, in period. Or what about those, I have another one, those pre-pregnancy jeans. Oh, you know the ones I'm talking about. You have so many good memories that were made wearing them. But now, whenever you see them, they just remind you that you have become someone else. In many cases, that is someone who will never be able to fit into those jeans again. I have been and currently am that person too. We've talked about this before, but sometimes clothes can spark bad memories. Something you were wearing when you got into an argument or something you were wearing at the hospital on a less than happy occasion. It takes courage and some grief to get those items out of our closet. Courage that we are often missing or the ability to grieve that we haven't given ourselves the time to do. So we hang on to them. Unfortunately, remembering the bad experiences, albeit subconsciously, every single time we see it. Allow yourself some time to think about those sentimental items that are taking up space in your closet and taking up space in your heart, especially the ones that bring up unhappy moments. When it comes to the happy items, do you think that just maybe keeping photographic evidence might be enough? And what would it feel like to not have that item taking up space in your closet and consequently in your heart every time you see it? Think about this. It is okay that the items in your closet serve only as souvenirs. But think about this. You wouldn't keep the ticket stub of a movie you hated. So why would you keep a piece of clothing that reminded you of a bad experience? I know why I have kept these things. It's guilt. It's guilt about the resource of my money that was spent purchasing that item. So add to the bad memory that the fact that that item dredges up the awful feeling of guilt for wanting to get rid of something that cost me money. We need to forgive ourselves. Forgive yourself. 
you either have to forgive yourself or change the way you view the item, which you can do by repurposing it or intentionally including it in your closet rotation, making new memories to replace the negative ones. So here we are back talking about the golden rule. I've been plugging away at my New Year's resolution. I am not battling 100% to be honest. It's sometimes just one bridge too far for me to act on love. I'm not proud of this, but it is what it is. I find that sometimes with the idea of doing what I would want someone to do for me is the hope to not say expectation that someone will actually do what I want done for me. This is a terrible risk for disappointment, and it just seems fitting that to start off this year, I gave you a lecture about disappointment. One area that this says golden rule thing has really been making a difference in my life is that one thing that I would want people to do for me is to speak kindly to me. I don't mean flattery or nonsense. I mean I would want people to speak in a kind tone of voice, no raising the voice, no barking orders. I mean, if they have to repeat what they have said, that they would do it patiently without getting annoyed or getting that weird edge to their voice. If this is true for me, then I need to practice it. It's no joke, really, really hard to ask someone to put on their socks for the 300th time without raising my voice. But I'll be darned, once those socks are on, I find that if I have made it through without raising my voice, it actually makes me less irritable about the whole process. I just need to keep my tone calm. So the golden rule really does rule, even when it's hard. All right, Cinderella, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I am so honored that you took time out of your day to spend some time with me. I'd love to hear what comes up for you as you think about your closet. What are the roles that you play in your life that require different costumes? What are the antiquities in your closet and how can you use them to bring more joy into your life? What are the items in your closet that are taking up more heart space than they deserve? You can reach me on Instagram at singwithyourfeet or by email lily, L-I-L-Y, at singwithyourfeet.com. Be great this week, Cinderella. I believe in you. I, oh, I also want to thank those of you who have shared the podcast on your social media. This means so much to me. If you haven't done it yet, remember to subscribe and rate and review the podcast on your listening platform. This is a huge step to growing our audience, and it won't cost you a thing but 90 seconds of your time. I want to give a great big thank you to Seven Productions here in Mulhouse, France for the use of the song La Joie as the intro and outro to the show, to Matt Kugler, who you can find on social media as Matt-K, who sang it, and to Claude Equay, who wrote it. This is your fairy godmother signing off. Just remember, it is never too late to start singing with your feet. <laughs>